2. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming and the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask her or to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar by the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did somebody bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. 
The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear this message and to believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. It is the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask your blessing on our time in Scripture. We recognize that this story points to you, that this book points to you. And we ask, Lord, that through it we would get to know you better this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So simple truths keep us grounded, don't they? Simple truths keep us grounded. I'm going to tell a story that I've told before, but some of you haven't heard it, so I'm going to tell it anyways. I loved math growing up. I was good at it in in school. It warms Christie's heart for me to say that, right? I loved math because there's a right and wrong answer, and I'm kind of black and white like that. But I always struggled with story problems. Anybody relate? I always struggled with them. I mean, I wasn't good at English. I was good at math. And I can remember one particular time when I was sitting at our dining room table in the upstairs of a split-level house, um, sitting there trying to figure out story problems with my mom. And my mom was a math major in college, so it came easy for her. And I just could not get it that night. It did not matter how much she explained it to me. I couldn't understand it. And I got so frustrated that I put my bags and my my book and my my papers into my bag, and I walked out onto the back deck of the split level, so we're we're a story and a half up, and I just launched the bag. (laughs) I went back inside, and I sat down. My mom says, you feel better? Yep. (laughs) Go get your bag. So I went back out into the dark. I found the bag. Luckily, it hadn't landed in anything that it shouldn't have landed in. And I brought it back in, and we started again. And my mom kept pointing out the simple truths that I needed to know in that math problem. Hey, James, you look for the numbers that are in there. Look, look for what they're trying to get you to figure out. Is it adding? Is it subtracting? Is it multiplying? And she worked through those truths with me. Okay, so simple truths keep us grounded. We're in the middle of a sermon series called With Jesus that is leading us towards the cross where where we are intentionally spending time with Jesus where we're trying to put ourselves into the story. We're trying to see and taste and touch and hear and feel what Jesus would have. We're trying to put our, our own sandals on and walk the dusty roads of Galilee with this small town uh, rabbi. And so far we've spent time with Jesus in the wilderness We spent time with Jesus last week after dark. Today we get to spend some time with Jesus at a well. 
having a conversation with a woman. Now, this past week, I purposely tried to put myself in the story. And I tried to, to feel the hot noonday sun as it, was, as it was blaring down. I tried to feel the cool of the stones on that well that had a lot of history echoing through it, with it being Jacob's well. And as I sat there with Jesus, watching this conversation that he was having, I realized there's, there's about five simple truths that I could pull out of this passage. And we're going to cover those five truths today. It'll kind of be like five little mini sermons where we'll talk about application at the end of each one, and, and you can pick which one you like best and remember that one, okay? Kids, several of you have come to me and said, where's the kids' bulletin today? Well, we don't have a specific kids' bulletin, but there's fill in the blanks on the back of your, 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 your bulletin. And adults, there's also fill in the blanks for you guys. So for the kids, you guys go ahead and fill them out, and like you always do after, bring them up to me. Today, we're going to be having donuts for anybody who has turned in a children's bulletin. Some of you adults are like, turn one in today. Okay, so kids, right after you bring it up, fill in the blanks and then bring them up. Adults, fill them out, and you can give them to your neighbor and see if they'll give you a donut. <laughs> we're on the same page? Okay, simple truths. That keep us grounded. The first truth that I found in this passage was this. You never know when you're going to encounter or meet Jesus. You never know when you're going to meet Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 6 through 8 of the Gospel of John. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. You never know when you're going to encounter, when you're going to meet Jesus. In our story, our unnamed friend, the Samaritan woman, had no idea when she left her house that morning that she was going to rub shoulders with the Savior of the world. As she grabbed her water jar, put it on her shoulder or her head or however she carried it and walked From her house to the well and back, she did not realize who she was going to encounter. For her, this was just a normal day. A normal day where she got up, she put on her her sandals, she got her jar, she waited till noon, not the normal time to go and get water, but she waited there, and as she was going, I bet she expected a quiet walk with nobody there and a quiet walk home. But the truth of the matter is, the simple truth is, we never know when we're going to meet or encounter Jesus. We see this throughout the Gospels. Just about anybody that Jesus, well, you look at Matthew, okay? One of the the main disciples of Jesus, one of the guys who wrote one of the Gospels, he got up one morning, he put on his tax collector outfit, his little I work for the Roman government badge, and he went and he was sitting in his tax collector booth collecting taxes. What happened? He met Jesus. Jesus walked by and said, Matthew, come follow me. His normal, everyday life. The same happened with a couple of sets of brothers, James and John and Andrew and Peter. They got up in the morning, they put on their fishing boots, they put on their slickers, they grabbed their work gloves, they went out with their dad in their boat. As they're on the, on the shore fishing, they encountered Jesus. And he said, come follow me. The Apostle Paul, he woke up one morning, says, I'm going to go persecute Christians in the town of Damascus. So on the way there, what happens? He met Jesus. The widow in the town of Nain, she was burying her son. 
leaving the town, full of emotion. I mean, she was fully there. And what happened? She met Jesus. We never know when we're going to encounter Jesus, when we're going to meet him. And I don't just mean like for the, for the first time. See, I grew up in and around the church. My parents were missionaries, and I, I began following Christ as a four-year-old. And I got to high school, and I decided I, I don't want to follow him anymore and kind of pushed him in the back and got to college and re-met him, re-encountered him again. And it was one of those things where I was eating breakfast in a cafeteria, something I did every morning. Hadn't told anybody there that I had any sort of faith background. Somebody walks up and says, I hear you're a Christian. Come to the campus ministry. I re-met Jesus. You never know when you're going to encounter him. Sure, there's times that we, we want to, times when we get up and we're like, okay, I'm going to spend this extra time in prayer, or you go to summer camp or you do a spiritual retreat and you're really hoping that you encounter him during that time. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you even get to encounter him here in church. Isn't that a novel idea? But other times you're just going through your everyday life and something happens where you meet Jesus. Now, some of you haven't been following him very long and you're wondering, what what does that mean to to meet Jesus? Like, am I going to physically run into him? Well, doubtful, but if you do, come and grab me, please. (laughs) And grab a few other people like the woman at the well. Okay? But maybe meeting Jesus is, is getting sick, and all of a sudden, this group of people who you haven't been part of very long starts bringing you food. Maybe meeting Jesus is having a random conversation with somebody at the grocery store, and, and, and they encourage you in a way when you were down and you weren't expecting it. Maybe meeting Jesus is driving home, and you, you happen to flip the station onto a, to a dial, and you hear a song that you've heard a hundred times, and yet for some reason, those three or four words just stuck out to you. And it's like, oh, wow, I just had a God moment. You never know when you're going to have those. So let's go practical application with this. What happens if in the morning when you got up, you asked yourself, is today going to be the day I encounter Jesus? Am I going to meet him in a way that changes the trajectory of my life? Am I going to meet him in a way that he meets me right where I'm at and gives me what I need? What if we got up hoping for expecting, anticipating? What if in the mundane, everyday, ordinariness of life, we started looking for those encounters with Jesus, hoping that we were going to meet him? Do you think our days would be slightly different? I know mine would. Truth number one, you never know when you're going to meet or encounter Jesus. Second truth is this. Jesus often changes the subject. Jesus often changes, or I I can even say redirects the subject. We see this in verses 9 through 14. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, "If, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water will give, uh, I will give, excuse me, those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them. I want you to notice something in this part. The woman begins the conversation talking about cultural differences. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Does Jesus address that? No. He redirects the subject. And after he's redirected it, she comes back to the whole idea of, wait, 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 we're going to talk about something different. This well is deep. Do you have a bucket? Do you have a rope? Does Jesus talk about a bucket or a rope when he answers her? Not in that section. He redirects. He changes, maybe not much, but he changes the subject. What the woman saw as vitally important, Jesus said, no, you know what? There's something else I have for you. And I'm going to change or I'm going to direct the subject to what I want to talk about. We don't know for sure whether or not this woman knew much of the Old Testament. She was a Samaritan. She may have. She may not have. She didn't recognize that Jesus was probably talking about Isaiah 58, verse 11. The prophet says, The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Did she know that verse? We don't know. But we do know that every time she tried to talk about one thing, Jesus redirected the conversation to something else. That's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, if I'm wanting to have a conversation with Jeremy and I bring up a topic and he starts talking about something else, and then I try to bring it back to the thing I want to talk to and he goes a different direction, am I going to want to listen to what he wants to talk about? No, because he keeps changing the subject. I wonder if the woman felt the same way. I don't know. We see Jesus changing the subject other times in the Gospels as well. We saw it a little bit last week when Jesus hung out with Nicodemus at night. We see it in John chapter 6 also. Jesus had, uh, had fed the, the masses, and he, he put his disciples in the boat and sent them across the lake, and he went up in the hills to pray, and later that night he walked across the water. And the next morning, the people who had been on the one side of the lake, they looked around and they realized Jesus wasn't there. So they went to the other side of the lake and they said, Jesus, when did you get here? Jesus didn't look down at his watch and say, you know, 15 minutes ago. He started talking about bread and putting the focus on God. He changed the subject from arrival time to here's what you need to hear. So Jesus often changes the subject. The disciples were walking towards Jerusalem. They saw a tree, a fig tree that Jesus had said something to the day before. It was withered. They came to him and said, Jesus, let's talk about this withered fig tree. And he says, no, let's talk about faith. He changes the subject. Isn't that so true of our conversations with him as well? I mean, if we're really coming to him wanting a conversation, how often have you come to him thinking, God, I'm going to talk about this. Jesus, this morning I'm going to talk to you about my kids because they're just not listening. And he says, how did you treat your wife last night? It's not what I'm coming to talk about, Lord. All right? Jesus, I want, I want to talk about how my evaluation at work went. I don't think my boss is being fair. I want to talk about your attitude at church on Sunday mornings. He changes the subject. He redirects it. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this principle, the simple truth that could keep us grounded? What if 
I know a lot of us have lists that we come to God and, and we pray through. And those are good. Okay? We want to write things down so we remember. We want to pray through those lists. Okay? But what if we came before praying the list and said, okay, Jesus, I, I think these are the things I want to talk about, but what is it you want to talk about? And then what if we gave him the space to answer? For those who haven't been following Christ very long, you may be thinking, am I going to hear an audible voice? Maybe. If you do, come and get me. Okay? But maybe what happens is you, you say, Jesus, this is what I want to talk about, but what is it you want to talk about? And, and you sit there and, you, and maybe through Scripture you're drawn to something. Maybe your mind, what you think is your mind wandering to a different topic is actually Jesus directing your mind to spend some time talking to him about that. So what if we give him the freedom to direct how we pray, to direct what we pray about? Because then maybe he'll change the subject less because we're talking about what he wants to talk about. All right, let's see if we're listening. First simple truth, what was it? Never know when you're going to meet Jesus. Good. And it's like, no, 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 no. Second simple truth. What was it? That's better. Jesus often changes the subject. Perfect. Go ahead and take that one away. We'll go to the next truth, third truth, number three. Jesus does not always give us what we ask for. Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask for. Verse 13 through 15. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. And it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Please, sir, give me this water so I, I won't be thirsty and I won't have to come here anymore. Did Jesus give her that? No, he didn't. Her response shows me two things. I think she's asking for two things, whether she knows it or not. She's asking for the physical side of things, like the, the, the liquid water. And she thinks that if Jesus gives her some of this, maybe magical or something, that she won't be thirsty anymore. And then the, the second thing she says, she talks about, then I won't have to come here anymore. I don't think she minded the walk to the well. I think her challenge was the social scorn that she received on the way to the well. Okay, for those that know the story, you know that noon is not the time people would normally go and get water. But she more than likely went there because, as you heard when the story was read earlier, she had quite the marital history. So a lot of the people in the town were probably, they were probably sitting on their front porches around new time, under the shade with their jug of water, and she would have to walk by them. And you hear the, the whispers. You see the head shaking. You, I think she was asking Jesus for, for some maybe healing from that. Did he give her either of those? Not at that moment. Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask for. This happens in other times in Scripture too, doesn't it? Uh, James and John, two disciples, they came to Jesus one morning. Uh, one of the stories actually says their mom came also, and they said, Jesus, would you let us sit at your right hand and your left hand when, when it comes time for you and your glory? Did Jesus give them what they asked for? Well, 
we don't know. We don't know who's sitting on his right and his left. But he says, I don't even know who's sitting at my right and my left. So he didn't give it to him. I got a little rub, a little tension with this truth, that Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask for. Because several times in the Gospels, Jesus tells us to ask. Right? Matthew chapter 7, ask, seek, knock, and you will receive. You'll find. The door will be opened. John chapter 13, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So that the Son of Man can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This seems to be a direct contradiction to what I'm saying, that Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask for, doesn't it? But you guys have experienced this. Haven't you? We all asked in Jesus' name that Don Davis would be healed from his burns. We've asked for relationships to work. We've asked for jobs to be had. Don didn't get physically healed. We've seen relationships broken. We've seen people still out of work, even though we've been praying for him for a long time. So he's not giving us what we ask. I will come back to this in terms of application because it ties directly in with the next truth. And that next truth is that Jesus gives us what we need. He may not give us what we ask, but Jesus gives us what we need. Back in verse 15 where we see the woman saying, give me this water so I'll never thirst again and, and I won't have to come here anymore. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. Changed the subject, didn't he? Yes, he did. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have one. You've had five, and you're not even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Think with me for just a second. Put yourself in the story. You're there in the heat of the day. The woman's probably tired from walking. We know Jesus was tired from walking. He's leaning against a well. What's her greatest need at that moment? No, it's not water. Her greatest need is to know who she's talking to. Realize who she is talking to. Jesus knows this. So he does the one thing that is going to turn her attention to that. No random Jewish man sitting beside a well in the middle of Samaria where no good Jew is going to go. No random Jewish man sitting there by a well is going to know anything about this Samaritan woman's marital background. But Jesus changes the subject on her and says, ah, mm -hmm. and she's got no other choice but to say, you're a prophet. Sir, you must be a prophet. Her greatest need at that moment wasn't water. It was to meet Jesus. It was to get introduced to the Savior. Jesus pushes it even more than just, than just letting her say, you must be a prophet. Verse 25 and verse 26, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. He just laid it out for her. The one you know is going to be coming at some point, that's me. That's me. Now, here's where it gets fun. Because, you know, a few moments ago I mentioned that the, the woman may have been wanting some healing from social scorn. And I, I just kind of painted the picture that Jesus didn't address that at all. Watch what happens. 
This is verse 28 and following. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jump to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay for, in their village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard of, we've heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Did the town talk to this woman before her encounter with Jesus at the well? We don't know, probably not much. That's probably why she was by herself in the middle of the day going to draw water. After her greatest need was met, meeting Jesus, did the town talk to her? Looks like it. I mean, she ran back. Come on, come on, come and see, come and see. And they came inside and they, and they believed. And, and then they said, we believe not just because of what you said, but because we've heard him ourselves. Now, I'm guessing, sheer speculation, James speculating here, that this woman got some of the social healing that she had been maybe hoping for. Maybe she got invited back into the synagogue to worship. Maybe she got back invited with the rest of the women to come get the water in the early morning when the air was still cool. But Jesus didn't give her those things when she asked for them. She gave them, she gave, here we go. He gave them to her after he met her greatest need. Make sense? Okay. So he doesn't always give us what we ask for, but he gives us what we need. So how do we apply this? Well, we keep asking. Scripture's clear on that. We ask, we ask, we ask. We ask for the big, we ask for the small. But how about we don't just ask, we say, okay, God, I realize that you don't always give me what I ask for, but you're going to give me what I need. So this is what I think I need. Would you give me what I need? And here's the hardest part of that, letting go of control. So often we come to Jesus saying, I know what I need, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do that, and I need you to do this, and and everything's going to be good then. But how difficult is it for us to go to him and say, would you give me what I need? And I'm going to let go of whatever control I think I have right now. I happen to know the God of the universe who knows what is best for you. And so as hard as it may be, though he may not give us everything we ask, he's going to give us what we need. We can learn to trust him in that. And that can affect our prayers. One final truth. But before we get there, let's review. That's the next one. Take that away. First truth, what was it? Never know when you're going to meet Jesus. Second truth. Change the subject. Third truth. Fourth truth. Fifth truth. And this one is deep, okay? God wants you. All of you. I'm not, I'm not talking about like the corporate whole of us, though he does want the corporate whole of us. I'm talking on an individual basis right now, okay? Because what, what we're learning from our story. We see this in John chapter 4, verse 21 to 24. Jesus replied, 
Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Remember the first thing the woman said to Jesus? How she started the conversation? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And we got the picture that, again, Jesus was just brushing that off. Well, he comes back to it here. He's going to address it. If we ask him at some point, he's going to address it. Not in the context that she was asking, but after giving her what she needed. And then in this passage, he says, look, I know your background. I know your story. But God still wants you, all of you, to come to him in worship. Do you see that in here? It's kind of hard to find it. I love this passage, but I've struggled with it. I've taught on this passage before, and I've never quite figured it out. I've heard some good sermons on what it means to worship in spirit and in truth, but that's confusing. And in any English translation of the Bible that I've read, whether King James, English Standard, NIV, NLT, NRSV, all those, nothing has really grabbed my heart in this passage until two weeks ago at Awana when I was reading this out of Eugene Peterson's The Message translation. I realize it's a paraphrase. I realize that for a lot of people, the message is kind of flowery. It's not a literal word-for-word translation, but I think Eugene Peterson nails it as to what Jesus is saying here. So just listen to it. This is verse 23 and 24 in The Message translation. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being, he's spirit, and those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. I'm saying the fifth principle is God wants you, all of you, simply and honestly yourselves to come before him in worship. All of you. Now, to me, this truth is freeing. And here's why. This is a little insight into the way James works. As I was looking at these different truths that I found in here that that I like, they're true, right? But I started feeling pressure with them. I mean, if I don't know when I'm going to encounter Jesus, that's exciting. But it's also a little bit scary for me. Okay, if if I'm acting one way, do I need to be, is Jesus there? Yes, he is. Okay, but it's a little bit scary. If he's always changing the subject on me, does that mean he doesn't value what I say? If he isn't giving me what I ask for, but what I need, like I mentioned, that's terrifying because I have control issues and I don't want to let go of what I think I need. So I'm feeling all this pressure. And then I get to this fifth truth where the way Eugene Peterson puts it, he just wants me to simply and honestly be myself and come before him in worship. All of a sudden, the rest of that stuff is like, oh, I can do that. 
I may not be able to answer all these other questions accurately or maybe the way that I think Jesus wants me to answer them, but I can at least come before you right now honestly and simply with who I am, with all of my mess. He's saying this to a a person who had mess, okay? But he's saying God wants you, all of you, to come before him. To me, that is powerful. And it is a simple truth. We know it. But it's a simple truth that keeps us grounded. Sometimes this whole Christian thing, this whole following Christ thing can be a little bit like a story problem, can't it? We find ourselves trying to figure out what, what, does, what is God trying to say here? What, what does he want us to do? Does he, does he want us to add things to our life or take things away from our life? I, I, I just can't figure it out. Sometimes it may even feel to us like we just want to put this book back in a bag and go and throw it somewhere and get rid of this whole thing. If you've never felt like that, bless your heart. I have. But if we can cling to the simple truths that we've seen today, if we don't get lost in some of the the ways we try and get faith so big and confusing and, and all this, 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 and this, if we can cling to some of these simple truths, then we're going to stay grounded. We're going to stay grounded in what God wants us to stay grounded in. These truths make sense? So here's what I want you to do, okay? I've given you some examples of some ways you can apply them. Take this home. Look and see if those examples work for you. If not, pick one of the truths and figure out a way that you can practically apply it this week to your life. And then do that. See what happens. I think I've talked enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am grateful for times when we can put ourselves into the story. I am grateful for the story of this woman at the well. God, I'm grateful to have been able to put myself here and learn some of the simple truths that I see in this story. Jesus, I pray that you would help us not be overwhelmed by this thing we call Christianity, by this thing we call faith, but I pray that you would help us remember the simple truths that could keep us grounded. God, most of all, help us remember that you want each one of us, our entire being, simply and honestly to come before you in worship. Help us to do that, Lord, today and the rest of this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.